All right. Welcome to the Opportunity Starts at Home podcast, where we talk about opportunity in America today and how housing fundamentally shapes that opportunity. This is your host, Mike Kaprowski. I'm the National Director of the Opportunity Starts at Home campaign, and we're glad that you tuned in. We are a national campaign that advocates for stronger federal policies that expand affordable housing for the lowest income people. But what makes us different is that we're bringing together new voices from other sectors to help us do it. Sectors like health, education, civil rights, anti-poverty, anti-hunger, faith-based, and more. These sectors are increasingly realizing that they can't fully achieve their own goals and priorities if the people they serve lack access to safe, decent, affordable housing. So we're building a multi-sector coalition and we're broadening the housing movement. This podcast really explores the connections between housing and all of these other sectors. Housing policy is school policy, health policy, economic policy, civil rights policy, criminal justice policy, and more. Few things shape our opportunity more than housing. We have lots of evidence about it, yet housing is often overlooked by our leaders and our policymakers. But being able to afford a decent home is a prerequisite for opportunity in America. The promises that our elected leaders make every election cycle, better health, better economic opportunity, better education, those things can only be fulfilled if people have access to good affordable homes in which to live. So we talk to research experts, we talk to leading advocates from different sectors, and we talk to elected officials. I hope you enjoy and hope you learn something too. All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's impromptu episode. Uh, we're going to talk about what's on everyone's minds, uh, this uh, surreal, I don't know a, a better word for it, um, this global pandemic of the coronavirus, something that is already changing the way that we live in a profound way. And there's no timeline on this. So we don't know when and how it stops. It's Thursday, March 12th, as we record this. Uh, Right now, 130,000 cases worldwide and and close to 5,000 deaths. I'm sure those numbers will change by the time we release this podcast. There's over 1,000 cases in the U.S., nearing 40 deaths, Um, particularly frightening scenario for people over 60 and those with underlying health conditions. Uh, Just last night, the president announced a sweeping travel ban. The NBA suspended its season. Today, it looks like Congress is canceling its recess. They're moving the Democratic presidential debate. Our top health, uh, top public health officials are are telling us that it's only going to get worse. So this is a podcast about housing. So we're going to talk about a topic that we've talked about a lot, which is how the housing crisis is a public health issue, And, and specifically, Uh, Today, we're going to look at how this public health emergency of the coronavirus is giving us a a really stark reminder of that reality. Uh, This health emergency leaves the most vulnerable, marginalized people at the greatest risk. And to help us walk through this, we have Dr. Barbara DiPietro, Senior Director of Policy at the National Healthcare for the Homeless Council. And she directs the policy and advocacy activities for the organization and is a super dynamic, uh, wonderful person. And, and so, Barbara, thanks for, for joining me today on, on quick notice. We weren't planning on doing this, but um, I think that, you know, at, at this crisis is 
certainly uh, getting more serious as the days go, and it is inextricably linked to housing. So we'd be we'd be remiss to to not talk about it. So so thanks for for joining us on short notice. Oh, and thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So let me ask, uh, you know, as, as this coronavirus spreads across the country, uh, we know that there's a half million people on any given night who will experience homelessness, uh, largely driven by the fact that they can't afford a place to live. And the National Health Care for the Homeless Council has been uh, making the case to the country in, in recent days. And there was, you were quoted in a an ABC News piece uh, this morning, in fact, um, and, and you're making the case that you know people experiencing homelessness are among the most vulnerable to uh, contract the virus and to spread the virus. So, uh, help us understand wh- why that is. Sure. Well, people experiencing homelessness are in disproportionately poor health uh, to begin with, and so that puts them at mm-hmm. greater risk. When we look at the populations that uh, we're focused on, particularly people with underlying health conditions and people who are age 60 and over, uh, when we look at our population, uh, we have disproportionate levels of chronic medical illness like diabetes, hypertension, cardiovascular disease, asthma. Uh, On top of that, uh, upper and lower respiratory infections are common on any given day for us. And so when we think about giving masks, to people who have a cough. Uh, That's most of our population every day. Uh, In addition to that, uh, there's other things like HIV, hepatitis, uh, increased uh, mental health and addiction issues, uh, and all of those things that combine to make our population a really complex and fragile um, from a medical perspective. And then Mm -hmm. on top of that, uh, last year, uh, Healthcare for the Homeless programs served over a million patients. 40% of those were age 50 or above. So this is a population that's increasingly aging, has underlying health conditions, and so that really makes them especially vulnerable. Then as a third piece, when we look at how people who are experiencing homelessness access services, housing, food, transportation, health care, where they're traveling in the community tends to be in congregate settings where they will be exposed to even more health contagions in in the community. So that makes them at a special risk, and this is why you're absolutely right. Our housing crisis is a public health issue, and this is why we've also been making the case to state and local authorities that uh, people experiencing homelessness should be a priority population in our emergency response to the coronavirus. Yeah, absolutely. And so you know, they're, they're, this is a population that, that's more susceptible to contracting it and also more susceptible to spreading it. And, you know, there's something, uh, you know, we, there's a lot we don't know about this virus, but what we, what we have learned thus far is that it, it really sort of preys on, on those two things, which is um, seniors and people with serious health conditions. And the, and the mortality rate is, is much higher in those cases. And that is disproportionately the homeless um, population. And then, um, you know, you also mentioned just sort of the, the close proximity to each other in, in sort of congregate settings, whether it's whether it's a shelter, whether it's an encampment, whether it's food pantries. I mean, for folks that haven't, you know, been in a homeless shelter, I mean, in often cases, you're talking about beds that are a foot apart, right? And so there's, um, there, there, yeah, so, so there's sort of, um, you know, kind of a, a perfect storm of vulnerability here. Um, the other thing, and then, 
you mix in the, the lack of, of uh, access to, to sort of hygiene, right? There's no sinks on this on the street. There's uh, limited ability to wash hands and hand sanitizers and, and all that kind of stuff. The other thing that that I think you know people have, have talked about increasingly is this um, the self quarantining that you're hearing. Tom Hanks announced he's self quarantining, and doctors are telling many people to self quarantine, stay at home. Pretty impossible if you don't have a home, right? Correct. This is yeah. one of the biggest questions that we have been trying to push everywhere we're talking. Uh, encourage your listeners to also be uh, pushing this forward. Local public health authorities need to be identifying qu appropriate quarantine accommodations for people who don't have homes mm -hmm. and need to be isolated. And I think because we are in a crisis of homelessness in this country before coronavirus even came along, Many communities are struggling to figure out where that's going to be. And so I yeah. think you have a tendency at the local level in an emergency response, uh, working with nursing homes, fairly straightforward, working with hospitals, fairly straightforward. And these mainstream healthcare congregate settings with vulnerable populations, not that there aren't issues, but it's more straightforward where, where, what the solution is. When it comes mm -hmm. to people experiencing homelessness, where do people go? And this yeah. is all too often communities do not have an answer to that question, and that leaves individual shelters, COC providers, uh, individual clinics like Healthcare for the Homeless struggling to figure that out on their own, and that's just not an acceptable community response to an epidemic. Uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is, um, you know, the, the lack of information that's that's available, um, folks. Uh, without a home, right, less likely to be sort of plugged into the news cycle and hearing from public health officials about how this thing actually spreads and what you can do about it. Uh, there's less, a less access to that information as well. Actually, I would say that for our population, really there's just going to be a, a diversity of, of access to information, just like the general public. Uh, many okay. of our clients spend a lot of time uh, either in shelters or in, for example, waiting rooms uh, where the televisions mm -hmm. are going all the time. Uh, in okay. fact, a number, many of our clients are much more informed about the news than I am sometimes because of the <laughs> amount of, of televisions that run uh, in the places where they're accessing um, mm -hmm. services. At the same time, we all know that we have some very vulnerable and very isolated um, folks in our community who are not getting any information, uh, don't have people mm -hmm. coming out to them, and as you said, don't have access to the kind of hygiene facilities that they need to have. And so uh, I'm concerned about all of our, of our folks, but really also yeah. concerned about folks that not only are not getting information, but also are so vulnerable that they won't seek out information or won't come in for services if they're sick. And so I hate yeah. to have someone out there on their own really suffering uh, and in need of medical care and be afraid to self-present. Or even worse, self-present to an emergency room and then that hospital doesn't know what to do with them. And then that makes right. everything worse. Yeah. So let's let's talk about some some solutions here um, for for people mm -hmm. currently experiencing homelessness. You alluded to them earlier, um, you know, such as a, a designated um, a quarantine location. Um, you know, obviously the the long term solution here is we got to get people into stable, affordable housing, and that's you know that's the long term work of of our campaign. But in in the more sort of immediacy, what are some of the things we need to do right away? 
Uh, well, let's see. <laughs> there are so many things, and yeah. as you alluded to, there's obviously the things that just need to be fixed in our system anyway, but um, mm -hmm. access to health care. So right now, so many people are just trying to figure out where they get care. Um, and so solutions um, for health care providers right now are struggling to figure out how they're um, getting enough supplies, uh, protective equipment, hand sanitizer, so that we can keep not only our workforce safe, but also our patients safe. Um, yeah. We're doing continuity uh, of, of uh, operations right now in many of our clinics to figure out how do we continue delivering care to our patients if we have half of our workforce called out. Uh, and so I think mm -hmm. that's a challenge, but uh, if we're keeping solutions focused, if communities are prioritizing this population and the, pri and the providers that serve them, how is it that we can be then doing better allocation of resources in a community to those populations, so making sure people have the supplies, equipment, and training they need? Uh, obviously, we need to be identifying appropriate quarantine. So whether that's a medical respite care program that may have uh, individual rooms or space within a shelter where you can do proper isolation, uh, some communities mm -hmm. will be able to accommodate that. Other communities will not. And so this is really the sticking point of being creative in how are you addressing this. Uh, Seattle right now is in the midst of a response. Uh, they've been really creative mm -hmm. in bringing in mobile housing units uh, to be able to do quarantine, just single room um, units. Mm -hmm. So that's something that jurisdictions could consider. Uh, but we also have to think about ongoing provisions of food uh, and how are people going to be fed. Uh, particularly if you're having quarantine or if you're closing down um, at some places where people are getting services. And then also sure. we need to be thinking about just how are we not stigmatizing and discriminating against this population in a way that obviously is not constructive in the midst of, a, of, of an outbreak, but also right. it's just not just and right to treat people in our communities in a way that we wouldn't want to be treated ourselves. And so when we think about... Um, NIMBY. So anyone on this podcast knows the, the struggles of uh, locating new housing projects in communities uh, and then communities fighting you. Uh, in an emergency response, we're trying to stand up new programs. And what we're hearing in some places is that when a community finds out, oh, there's going to be people experiencing homelessness coming to this, to this motel, for example, the community will come out and fight that, especially when they say, oh, we don't want homeless folks here, especially ones that have coronavirus. And that's really right. going to stymie a public health response, and that undermines all of our safety. Uh, and so I, I really am, am, am focused right now on how do we continue to stand up facilities in a way that uh, treats people with respect and equity, um, but also uh, tries to push back against the all-too-common NIMBY response to the solutions we all know need to happen. Well said. And as you were talking about NIMBY, I just you know there, there, there's already so many um, myths and stereotypes that uh, you know NIMBY folks have, have sort of weaponized to prevent the, the uh, construction of, of affordable housing. And there's there's arguments around, oh, you know, affordable housing will decrease property values, it'll increase crime, it will, uh, you know, suppress school performance. I mean, there's already so many arguments, and the last thing we need is another argument around, oh, you know, it, it brings disease and all that kind of uh, all that kind of garbage. So so absolutely right that, that we have to be vigilant about that. Um, wanted to just ask a, a clarifying question around the 
the designated uh, quarantine areas that you, that you uh, talked about. Th this is really what we're talking about is, is someone who needs to be quarantined. They don't have a home, but their symptoms aren't bad enough to rise to the level of hospital care, right? That, that's really the population that we're talking that's, about. That's the this population sort of we're talking about, right. Okay, okay. Okay, um, so, and just to be clear, I, I want to be clear, that, correct me if I'm wrong, but there hasn't yet been a confirmed coronavirus case among uh, the homeless uh, as of right we now. Have, um, we have no public reports of that yet. Right, but many could be infected and, and not tested, right? And that's perhaps oh, our that's, most... Oh, that's catastrophic. true yeah. Yeah, for the whole country right now. Uh, we right, don't have right. enough testing in place for, for, the entire, for all of the public. Right, right. And so it's, yeah, that's perhaps our most catastrophic failure in terms of our response here is that few people are being tested and we, we really don't have a handle on how pervasive this is um, because we just don't. We don't have aggressive. We don't have an aggressive testing regimen at this point. Um, okay, but I just I just wanted to be clear that we don't. Sorry, go ahead. Would you mind? Oh no, you had asked about solutions earlier, and and I wanted to go back and mm -hmm. just talk a little bit more about solutions that local jurisdictions also could be putting in place. Um, yeah, when please. We think about the power of our policymakers, particularly governors, to do states of emergency, uh, these can mm -hmm. be effective tools for expediting the kinds of housing and other assistance programs that we want, uh, bypassing some of the, some of the regulatory structures that, that prohibit that growth. Uh, now, the trick, yeah. of course, and this is always the trick, as we all know, uh, that requires political will to do. Uh, not just to mm -hmm. do the state of emergency, which can free up a lot more resources, but also if you're going to have the political will for someone to champion bypassing community support to continue to locate a program where there may be community opposition, that takes commitment uh, and political support. And I think on any given day, we're all searching for the kind of political support uh, just for yeah. issues related to homelessness and housing anyway. But but, mm -hmm. but local and state jurisdictions do have the tools already within their authority to be able to stand these up. And I would also point to the fact that um, local jurisdictions could also uh, halt encampment clearings. They could halt evictions. They could be stopping an inflow into homelessness um, just by taking emergency measures locally to make sure that people just can continue to be as stable as they can be. Understanding, of course, that encampments are not shelter and shelter is not housing. So I, I just wanted to make sure I went yeah. back to those two yeah. points because I think it's important for people to understand. Yeah, oh, very, very important. And, and that actually is a good segue into what I wanted to ask you uh, next, which is, um, you know, we, as we said, there are about half a million people on any given night that are experiencing homelessness today. But we, we have to talk about how um, this uh, coronavirus pandemic could, if we don't take proactive prevention steps could could potentially send a lot more people into homelessness. Um, and, and there's people who have a roof over their head right now um, that might be driven into homelessness. And so what we know is that, you know, most families in most households in poverty who rent are spending at least half of their incomes on housing to begin with. So there's, there's very little margin for the unexpected expense or the loss of income. And with this outbreak, um, you know, many low-income hourly wage workers could, could see reduced wages because they either, you know, they've fallen ill themselves or they have to care for a family member or maybe, you know, hours were cut at their place of employment. We're starting to see lots of things sort of starting to shut down and, you know, they, they can't cover the rents. 
evictions out on the streets. So, um, I mean, are you worried that, that this could really cause the, the population that's experiencing homelessness to, to explode, people who weren't otherwise homeless before this um, starting to experience it? I am very worried about that. Um, as you pointed out, so many people are living on the brink right now, uh, and it doesn't take t too many lost shifts or, or, or hours of work before you can't make rent. And the rent comes due at the beginning of the month. It doesn't wait for a crisis. And unless yeah. you happen to have a landlord that's willing to give you a, a lot of breadth there, and I think all of us know that that's few and far between, uh, we're going to see a lot of people who are going to be losing their housing. And I am very worried because uh, it's not like there's any give in the system that we have right now. We are already woefully underfunded, under-resourced, and understaffed. Mm -hmm. And that was before coronavirus may push thousands, we don't know, uh, more in, into uh, the homeless services system. I just don't know that this country yeah. is ready for that. And certainly the, the, the service structure is not. Yeah, I, I will say that, you know, the, the Opportunity Starts at Home campaign, I mean, we were probably in the next two hours here, we're going to send a letter up to the Hill. Um, and I think, yeah, National Healthcare for the Homeless, you all are, are signatory to this letter, <laughs> as you emailed me. Oh, very good, but, I but, hope so. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, and basically what we're saying, any, any comprehensive response to, to the coronavirus pandemic, it, it must include emergency assistance funding to, to prevent housing instability and homelessness, right? And that, that would, you know, mean short-term assistance to, to help people um, overcome these potential economic shocks. And, you know, we, we include a couple different ideas in the letter. Um, there's, you know, there was an emergency assistance fund that was proposed in the uh, Bipartisan Eviction Crisis Act, which we've talked about uh, several times on previous podcasts. Um, and, and, you know, you'd have to modify some pieces of it to fit the needs of this current outbreak. But overall, that could be a good model. There's the Homelessness Prevention and, and Rapid Rehousing Program, HPRP, which was used after the 2008 financial crisis, and that um, could potentially be a model. But, but we know that there's a strong track record for these emergency assistance programs. They've worked in localities across the country. It's just a matter of expanding the resources so that we could do it at scale. Um, and it's a very effective policy tool. And as you alluded to earlier, there's, there's lots of other ideas, too, from a you know, moratorium on evictions and foreclosures. And we, we've done, I think Fannie and Freddie have done that um, in previous disasters. There's legal services for people facing eviction. There's food assistance and SNAP, as you talked about. So it, obviously we need a comprehensive response, but we have to make sure that, that housing stability is a, is a component of that overall response. Agreed. And I think the, the trick is people are, are losing their jobs now. Uh, we're already starting to see news reports of people's lost income and destabilizing. Mm -hmm. We have to get this out to people fast and to the extent possible uh, do that in a way that prevents people from uh, getting onto the street. As we all know, it's harder to get people back into housing once they've lost it. And so preventing that loss is really pri primary. Um, but it takes time. Uh, for the government to be able to get that into the hands of right. people on the street. And this is a time that we don't have right now. And, and I'm, I'm worried that our response at the federal level will lag woefully uh, beho behind the needs of people uh, on the street. Yeah, and I think at, at this point you could make a very solid argument that um, it already is. I mean, we're, we're already behind the curve. I, I know we're a little bit out of time, and, and you know, we, you, you got a, a million things going on here to – 
to do your part in, in addressing this. And, and I just want to thank you a lot for your time and, and ask if you have any other final thoughts before we wrap it up. Um, I have to say I don't think anyone had anticipated the way that this would happen or anyone knows what will happen next. But I do want to give a shout out to uh, the people who are working inside HUD and at CDC who have been absolutely tremendous partners in trying to develop guidance specific for homeless providers and COCs. They have been trying to establish what the need is for, for new guidance, uh, putting out discussion guides, uh, a lot of information that's really specific for our population. And, and I just I, I want to give a shout out to them because I think uh, we're seeing a lot uh, at, the, at, at the very macro level um, <laughs> that, that may mm -hmm. give us pause. Uh, but but I have been seeing yeah. people just be wonderful public health response uh, from the folks we've been working with. And so I just want folks to know how many people are out there working 20 hours a day right now to try to make yeah. this better. With very limited, very limited resources in a very uncertain, uh, frightening situation. Indeed. Well, I so appreciate well, thanks, your Bart. attention to this issue. I appreciate you having me on today. Yeah, thanks, and, and thanks for helping you know raise the awareness of our country about how this you know this health emergency is you know is inextricably linked to our ability to to keep people stably housed. Um, and so I you know I sure do hope we can we can pull together as a country and, and develop a, a robust response to this. And you know that that includes a lot of a lot of different things that go well beyond the the scope of my expertise in this podcast, but certainly. Um, a robust response includes some of the strategies that we talked about um, today. So again, really appreciate your time. Uh, is there any, are there any places that you would recommend uh, for folks to, to learn more about this? Are there some recent resources that have been published? That, I know you mentioned CDC and HUD. Are, are there particular places that, that you'd encourage folks to go to uh, learn more? As a matter of fact, yes. Uh, at the National okay. Healthcare for the Homeless Council, we have uh, been collating the CDC and HUD guidance uh, on one page so that it's all okay. in one place. Uh, we also have a number of resources from Seattle King County. Uh, so if folks are okay. in a response phase in their local communities, use these resources as templates for your own. That way people can't, uh, aren't in a position of recreating the wheel. And if you have good template guidance uh, that you think would be helpful for others, please send it to us, and we'd be happy to, to feature it on our, on our site as well. And so there's a button Great. right yeah. off the home page that will take you directly to that list of resources. Great. One-stop shop, curating all the important things shop. out there. What's the, yep, for the folks, uh, what, what's the website? Uh, what's the, what's uh, the hyperlink? N NHCHC.org uh, for National Healthcare Homeless Council.org. Okay. Well, thanks. Thanks, Barbara. Again, really appreciate your time on, on short notice. This was super helpful for me to think through, and, and obviously this is a quickly evolving situation. So, um, yeah, uh, Thank you, Mike. We're, everybody's doing, doing the best they can. Thanks a lot. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks, right. Barbara. Take care.